On this episode of That Was a Show, Flying Blind was a show. It ran on Fox from September 1992 to May 1993, lasting a total of 22 episodes. It's the story of a relationship between young, uptight, and somewhat nebbish Neil, Corey Parker, who lives at home with his parents, and the freewheeling and sexually liberated Alicia, Taya Leone, who lives with cool New York artist loft party types. It features cameos from a veritable revolving door of great comedic actors, including favorite of the pod Lisa Kudrow. Bryn, Aaron, and Barry don their most chic attire, head over to what I can only assume is the meatpacking district, and try to figure out why this party fizzled out. (laughs) We grew up during peak sitcom, Seinfeld, Friends, The Fresh Prince, but those shows were diamonds in the rough. This podcast is not about those diamonds. It's about the rough. Some sitcoms were briefly popular in their time. Some were canceled almost immediately. You probably won't recognize most of these, and you'll ask, that was a show? That was a show? The podcast about failed or forgotten sitcoms from the 80s and 90s, starring... Bryn Burney, Aaron Yeager, and Andrew Helmer as Barry. A Radio Gizmo production. (laughs) Welcome to, uh, what is this, Sunday, February 4th. We never actually talk about when we record these. Yeah. The audience well, never knows. It, I think it kind of breaks immersion because aren't isn't it March 1st for the people listening to this? Yeah, I, I don't know. It, it's it's sometime a few weeks later. <laughs> yeah. We don't um, know we don't know uh who won the Super Bowl. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. also there's a pretty good <laughs> chance that on March 1st we still don't. Yeah. Mm. And um what we do know is that this will be episode 70. Yeah. That's correct. Yeah, that's the one thing that's for sure. Which is crazy. Did we even wish people Happy New Year last last episode? Probably not. It was our first it's... episode of 2024 and we didn't even make a thing of it, did we? Well, I mean, we are... you know, there's it's pretty gauche to to wish somebody Happy New We're Year. We're well like... past Larry David's <laughs> yeah. Larry David's statute of limitations on Happy New Year's. I think we're it's like, like three we're days or something. Did, we're getting through Q1 at this point. Yeah. <laughs> Q1, talking like an economist. I am. I work in, a, I work in finance. I know. Um, my, I, Q, my Q1 ends, my Q1 ends uh, February. So I'm, I, w- I will say as a follow-up to our, our conversation, our preamble conversation in the previous episode... Uh, on your recommendation, I have started watching Our Flag Means Death, and it is highly entertaining. I'm very <laughs> glad to hear that. It, it also gets quite quite sweet as it goes along. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm about five episodes in, so it's pretty <laughs> good. It's pretty good. Excellent. Very glad to hear that. Yeah. And I will once again insist that you watch Jury Duty. <laughs> it's, it's on the list. Again, not the movie. <laughs> It's on the list. Again, again, not the movie. Yeah. We were out with friends last night gathering and we were proselytizing to everybody that they need to watch Jury Duty. And it's like, well, I've already seen it. I've already seen the 
the Pauly Shore movie multiple times. And it's like, do you really think that that's what we're gunning so yeah. hard for you to watch <laughs> we're at this so point? so excited to tell you about this hot new thing that we watched for the first time. <laughs> A 1995 Pauly Shore <laughs> yeah. movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. Also, I forget it. I can't, I can't remember for sure if it came up, but I feel like we might have talked about starting Oppenheimer last time. And oh, we yeah. still haven't finished it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Chipping away. We're chipping away at it. Yeah. Um, You're watching it like the kids watch movies on TikTok. I know, I know. Yeah. Totally. Um, so, All right. Should we get into our- Dive our... on in. Yeah. Sure, sure. Let's dive on in. So this week, um, we covered a little uh, program called- <laughs> <laughs> A little program <laughs> called Flying Blind. Okay, so Flying Blind was a show. It was, in fact, a show. This one season wonder premiered on Fox in September 1992, and its final episode aired May 2nd, 1993. So it had a full one season of 22 episodes. It was created by Richard Rosenstock, who later wrote for Arrested Development. And it starred Taya Leone and Corey Parker as Alicia and Neil, a couple who have a passionate connection despite being opposites. Neil is insecure and uptight, and Alicia is beautiful and uninhibited. It is your standard odd coupling trope uh, set in New York and featuring the David Byrne song A Million Miles Away as its opening theme. For some reason. Yeah. <laughs> the rest of the cast includes Christine Rose and Michael Tucci as Neil's overbearing parents, Marcus Giamatti as Neil's colleague, and Robert Bauer and Clea Lewis as Alicia's roommates. The show follows Neil as he struggles to find a direction for his life post-college and the turbulent relationship he begins with Alicia. The series starts with Neil working for his dad as a pencil pusher at a company called Hawkman Foods. He meets Alicia by chance and she whisks him away to her massive and eclectic loft that she shares with her equally eclectic roommates and a variety of revolving house guests. Alicia is a sort of woman about town, a free spirited party girl who has many lovers and just might be the person to pull Neil out of his shell. We watched episode two and episode 17 of Flying Blind, and I'm still not quite sure what it's really all about. <laughs> um, and that's all I got as my my summary. <laughs> that's great. I well have to done. say, I have to say right away, if you were watching TV in the 90s and you had never been to New York City, shows like this lead you to believe that everyone in New York lives, regardless of income level, Lives, lives in a huge, in massive the biggest loft. fucking loft you have ever seen in your life. And all of their friends are like Andy Warhol level artists. <laughs> yeah. That's every, they, they all party. They all are like seven nights a week yeah. at the hottest clubs. They yeah. have for all, only celebrities and like senators as friends. And like, yeah. <laughs> like you would think that every New Yorker is the center of their own personal universe. Yeah. And, you know, it's so the whole kind of premise is really that Neil and Alicia are, are opposites. It's kind of like a uh, precursor to Dharma and Greg, but they're a little bit younger. Um, 
And, you know, they're they're very they're just very different. Like Neil's very buttoned down and he's trying to kind of find himself. And he starts the series again, working, not only working for his dad, but living in his parents home. And I didn't quite catch where his parents were. Are are they like they're not also in the city? They're like in the suburbs. It's some yeah. sort of suburb. Yeah. They're, yeah, they're in maybe, I don't know, they're in Jersey or something. Jersey or yeah. Long Island or something. Yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, so he's kind of this, he's not, I don't know if I would say he's sheltered, but he's definitely kind of like in his shell, like just kind of trying to break through. And then he meets Alicia and Alicia really is very much this kind of Holly Golightly type, this very um, eccentric, and very flamboyant woman who's like, you know, uh, comes off as worldly, but in that very superficial way that is <laughs> in TV shows. Yeah. Where it's like, you know, she's you know, she's eccentric because she wears a lot of fringe and <laughs> like, you know. So we didn't we didn't have the term manic pixie dream girl. Yes, exactly. Yet. This is before that. But this is like the closest she's, thing to that. Yeah. She's, she's like a complete screenwriter's fantasy of what a woman might might possibly. Yeah. Be. And literally every man who comes into contact with her is immediately seduced by her. Like yeah. she's. They kind of position her as she's completely irresistible she to the, everyone. She has the Kavorka. Yes, exactly. So, yeah. So basically, <laughs> it's kind of like one of the running jokes is kind of like, well, how the hell did he score her? So, but he's also very cute. So I don't quite understand. Like his. The he, show tells us he's not though. Yeah, so we're, exactly. We're, 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 we're going to take their word yeah, for it. Yeah, yeah. The show tells us that he's. Very bookish and mousy. I know. Yeah, and, the show tells uh, us he's not conventionally a handsome man, yeah. but, he's but like he is quite an act, handsome. a working actor in a Hollywood production. Exactly. <laughs> he, yeah, yeah. He's in reality when you just look at him next to her, you're like, I could like if they don't, if neither of them talk. Yeah, I can believe that these two would be together. But as soon as they start like talking, yeah, you're like they're they're clearly personifying these characters. Yeah. That are like uh not quite fitting. Yeah. And and like so his whole persona, okay? <laughs> there's a certain archetype, comedy archetype that comes from like Jewish Yiddish comedy called the Nebish. Yeah. And, I saw him described as Nebish yeah. in, in different okay. synopses. So yeah. He's playing a Nebish. Now the most famous Nebish character that people know from comedy is every character that Woody Allen played in movies. And that makes sense. <laughs> and then by the time this show was on, like the early 90s, and presumably a lot of the comedy writers who worked on it were learning the craft in the 70s and 80s, mm-hmm. this was like a very hot trope. I, I feel like, um you know... Billy Wilder really uh, popularized it in the 40s and 50s. Yeah. This was a, a, a an archetype that, you know, the, the whole... Uh, yeah, it's it's the, hard. The, it, you go with the apartment where, you know, the uh, the character arc is nebbish to mensch. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's hard to define precisely in words in English what a nebbish is because it would be oversimplifying to say socially awkward or neurotic or something yeah. like that although those elements might play into it but it's a specific type where yeah. where he would not be easily he would not be at ease around yeah. a woman as outgoing and attractive as her 
but he would want to be and he would be desperately like there's a yeah. th there's a reek of desperation aspect to it. Oh, oh, is there? <laughs> and so they're clearly <laughs> I feel like his whole Yeah. The arc in the second episode is desperation. Exactly. And they're uh, they're they're laying that God, on real thick. God he's he's God he's one of the worst like characters we've ever encountered. Yeah. yeah. And they're laying that on so thick and even his delivery of some of the lines sounds like he's impersonating a Woody Allen character. I literally character. was just about to say that. <laughs> it does sound like that. But yeah, okay, so at first I was kind of disappointed that I couldn't find the pilot anywhere for us to watch. Um, but based on the like the two episodes we watch, I feel like not much even happens and that no. it's enough to read the summary, yeah. honestly. And like you know, I'm kind of glad we started with this second episode because it was. I, I didn't. I didn't even read the summary, and I. I think the show yeah. covers it. Yeah, basically. Like, uh, I, was, I got. I got how they met. It's in. They talk about it in the second episode. Yeah, like I just assume it's like you know, you they set up that he's working for this food company and he's also living with his parents and he's a little bit you know aimless and then she kind of comes in and shakes everything up and she's inexplicably instantly attracted to him so yeah well the fact that like, he... i mean he's cute but like the fact that he, sh he stood out amongst all yeah. the other men in new york you'd think well, she'd go for a she, more confident type but i mean yeah. like she's she's not a character so exactly like, yeah. she's not there's, a three-dimensional character no, she is a manic nothing, pixie yeah. dream girl she's um, yes she's window dressing for whatever he's supposed to be lusting yeah, after it's unfortunate like <laughs> and it's like taylor leone obviously is fantastic like she's great in everything she's very as a commanding like presence this um, is not this is not her best work. No, it isn't. It isn't. <laughs> but it's like, you know, she did the most with this that she could, I think. Yeah. She um, does more than than almost everybody else does. Yeah. It's, you know, a lot of the aesthetics are like very very early 90s. It's very like, you know, I love her the costume choices for her. Like mm -hmm. I was like really enjoying every scene yeah. to see what she was going to wear next cuz they were like pretty yeah. Like, just like over the top. Yeah, but, the, the wardrobe and set design is yeah, a fun time capsule. I, her character has like my least favorite um, 90s hairstyle, which is like that like short hair with the giant like volumized big barrel curls. It's just like yeah. not flattering on anyone. And I don't know why that was like a look and, in the and, early 90s. And every guy has a boxy double breasted yeah. suit and the loudest floral tie they could find. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I would say, like, honestly, like, there's so much in this, like, just kind of going into it where you're like, all right, well, it's, you know, it's a New York show. It's a New York hang or it should be a New York hangout show. It's not. I yeah, mean, it's not. But you want it it's, to be. It's, it, yeah. It's the type of thing that I'm like, you know, you didn't really have to. I, I, I you didn't have to work hard to get me to sit through this. And the show really didn't do it. Like, yeah. But I think the biggest thing, like, is the writing and like i have never seen a show so confident <laughs> and so in love with its own dialogue I yes know, yes i know um, yes. and then the worst is like there are so many like <laughs> yes. blown takes that they left in because yeah. like none of the actors get the fucking rhythms of the dialogue Thank you. because yeah. it's yes. because it's it's no, but like it's unbearable. Over, Imagine it's yeah. overwritten. Overwritten. Like, yes. It just reminds me jokes. of like. It, Thank you. It just reminds yes. me of like 
like 18 year old me writing dialogue and making like people say it, not realizing, you know, yeah, like how to write for actors. Okay, yeah. so I'm so glad you both. Yeah, no, we bo- said I, bo- that. I had that. That that was like one of my biggest notes. It's like maybe yeah. the wordiest jokes ever, maybe the like most okay. awkward things to deliver, like. You know, um, it was probably torture yeah. for the, them oh, to absolutely. have to deliver. I'm, I'm and, so- and like, <laughs> clearly, like, riffing or improving was like really probably, frowned upon. Yeah. Yes. Oh, my yeah, God. Because it's very. Say, say my say my genius words. Yeah. For such a wordy thing, you can tell that it's not loose, like that it's very um, it's like a, like a stage play. Kind of in the yeah. sense that, yeah, they're very precious about every word, even though it's such rapid fire banter. Yeah. I'm so glad that both of you mentioned like the awkward yeah. rhythm yeah. of yeah. the delivery, because my last note that I wrote, it was kind of like I was going to save this for later, but I need to say this now because it's now is when it's relevant. I, I wrote some of these jokes take so long to get out. Like it's such literary content and the yeah. rhythm is so off. So you know, like, good sitcom banter when you see it. It's hard yeah. to, like, pinpoint why it works when it works. And I hate to always reference... You shouldn't. Yeah. It, it, you, because you don't notice when you don't it know. works. You don't notice yeah. when it works, but I hate to always use this as a reference. But yeah. for a show that's, like, high-minded, literary, long-winded jokes, you can look mm-hmm. at a show like Frasier, and yeah. it works 100% of the time. Yeah. And you could use any of the greatest shows of that era to show, like, here's a demonstration... Well, and also, not every character speaks like that. Yeah. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, they, they know how to, like, they give all the long-winded stuff to Frasier yeah. and Niles, and everyone else is sort of just normal. Whereas <laughs> in this show, everyone has these, yeah. like, weird paragraph-long jokes. Yeah. And it doesn't would, make any sense. You gotta sense. knock the tennis ball back and forth with a rhythm yeah. where it feels like a natural conversation. So even yeah. though it's set up punchline, you still yeah. need to sort of believe these are human beings talking to each other yeah. and not just taking turns giving soliloquies. Yeah. There's an example of this, which um, as I was thinking of it, I was like, it it still worked. This is very Gilmore Girls dialogue. Oh, it is kind of, yeah. it's speaking a mile a minute. Gilmore Girls also has a thing where, like, you know, it you're you're just sort of like, wow, this is a lot. But there's like a way that they they manage to handle it, which sort of like works for it. Yeah, but this like, did not yeah. have that. They yeah. are, you know, what it is? It's, they're on the same page as the right as a- yeah. Amy uh, Sherman Palladino. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, they're on the same page as her. Yeah, and these guys are are like, I don't know what the fuck this is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This feels <laughs> like actors were given script pages like an hour before shooting, <laughs> and, and then yeah. probably and we're having like panic, yeah, and like and they're attacks all before. and they're all pros, so they're yeah. able to memorize the lines, yeah. but they're not really vibing with it. So they're yeah. just kind of like, well, I gotta get all get out this mouthful of. <laughs> it, yeah, it's yeah. so. But then they slam you with the laugh track. Yeah. Hard enough to like. Thank, thank God. At to, least that's the only thing that was keeping the pacing on yeah, the scene. Yeah. So it's like, oh, that was a joke. Oh. Yeah. If yeah. there was, imagine this show if there was no audible laughter, it would be yeah. torture. Yeah, it yeah. would. It'd be really <laughs> awkward. Anyway, I, I guess we should just describe, kind of break down the two episodes. So basically, episode two is sort of in the aftermath of him meeting Alicia. Neil is like fantasizing about like sleeping with her and he's like desperate to see her again. And like the opening, like the the cold open is like this 
fantasy ha- of them having just slept together for the first time. And, you know, it's like some pillow talk and uh, it like ends abruptly with, uh, you know, his dad waking him up. And, you know, again, we're reminded that he like lives at home and has to, you know, kind of deal with that and not have this exciting erotic adventure with her adventure with Alicia until he sees her again. So, you know, he's back in the office and kind of just, you know, just kind of hangdog kind of and he's getting like kind of ribbed by his co-worker Ted who's more of a more he ambitious <laughs> pardon I said he sucks yeah he sucks uh also he is uh that actor is the brother of Paul Giamatti <laughs> is he actually yeah he is he's his brother I, I yeah. saw his name was Giamatti and I yeah. thought it doesn't look like him yeah so he's um man Marcus I Giamatti can't... he's the, he's also a very successful like character actor that's so that's great yeah anyway so yeah so we see this happening and then he's like he's he just decides um at the end of the day that he's gonna go track down alicia he's gonna go try to find her apartment which seems very odd like how he could just show up and figure out which one is her apartment at at any rate no he was at he he'd been there he had been there in the previous episode but like it did sound like he showed up and wasn't quite sure if it was hers um, but before he leaves his mom, who happens to be at the office too, for some reason, she reminds him that they have a big family dinner and that he has to be home to like be with the whole family. And he's like, okay, but I'm going to just like do something first. And basically he's like so horny. Does he work <laughs> for, for his Alicia. parents? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's what I thought. Or he works for the same company as his dad. Okay. okay. So it's I I don't think his dad owns the company. Oh, okay. But but he got the job through his dad. Ah. So yeah, so he's just so horny that he just has to like try to like connect with Alicia and just get it out of his system. So he goes to her apartment and is greeted by a just a host of strange people that are like hanging out there. There's like a person at the door with a horse mask on. Like half naked doing in like, a horse mask. Yeah. And it's just, it's like a whole thing. And, you know, we meet the roommates. Like we meet them. I'm sure we meet them in the pilot, but we met them for the first time. And they're, they're funny. They're quirky. Um, and, you know, Alicia finally shows up and he's basically like, when are we going to have sex? <laughs> 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 and the whole and they they go out together they go out to a bar and she's like uh, got all these men approaching her that she either knows or throwing are just themselves throwing at her themselves at, at her including Diedrich Bader a which little I found, baby Diedrich Bader which I found very funny me too uh, a delight to see um so everyone's like fawning over her and you know the whole time Neil is just like okay so when's this gonna happen like it's just like and she's like you know I, I just i feel this like this like special connection with you and i want it to be special so i think we should wait but in the whole the whole moment with them is them debating about whether or not they should wait to have sex or they should just yeah. have sex 
And it's basically like Neil basically being like whether like or not he wants her. to consider her as a human or not. Yeah, yeah, it's it's gross. Like the whole the whole thing gave me the vibe but then, of. But then the follow up to that is she says, "Well, we're gonna wait," and then she shows up at his door. I like know, an... I was getting to it, but anyway, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so the the whole that whole scene gave me like icky vibes of. Like uh, the whole trope that's like more of a recent trope of the quote unquote nice guy who's really just a skis and is going to like neg her and try to like get her to like just just begging her to like give it up and have sex with him. And I was just like, this is gross. And at some point he gives up and then goes home to his parents house and by this time he's like missed the family dinner and his dad is there by himself and his at the table waiting for him and his dad's upset and he's like, you know, you you everyone was here, everyone missed you. He's giving him a good dose of dad guilt. And he's like, ah, you know, I'm sorry. And goes to bed. And then soon after, Alicia shows up. And again, how does she know where he lives? <laughs> well, there's a line there's about a line it. There's a line about him telling her. It's but very it's contrived. Still, it's, it's all very contrived. So she shows up at the parents' house and she says, I thought about it. Let's have sex now. And he says, like, I, I, waited. I, I thought you wanted to wait. And she's like, like I, I did. did. <laughs> so basically, she barges into the parents' house and, like, they're trying to decide where they're going to have sex there in the parents' house. And then eventually they go to his childhood bedroom. Yeah, I didn't get, like, why not his room? Yeah, immediately. I don't know. But then they end up in his room. And, well, I well, what I took that to be is... Like back, if you if you look back retroactively at the scene, he was didn't know that he wanted to bring her to his room because when they do go into the room, the lights are out mm-hmm. and she turns on the light and he's like, oh, no, 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 no. Like he doesn't want her to turn on the light because oh, when she right. turns on okay. the light, you can see that this room has not been redecorated since he was like 12. Yeah. So, so there's all this like kid there's shit all in this it. childish. It's a very yeah. childish kid's bedroom with like a single bed and everything. And. But she it had, finds it had one. It had one great joke that I I really enjoyed. I I uh, also had yeah. There was there was one or two great the, jokes in the bedroom. What did you like? It was the she finds this huge trophy, and she goes, "Oh, oh. you got this trophy for most improved camper." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny. And I was just like, I just love it. it it's such a put such a picture in your head where you're like. He was such a nervous boy that somebody gave him a trophy <laughs> yeah, for like yeah. making it through camp. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I actually yeah. found a few moments in the bedroom scene funny. It was basically the only parts of of yeah. the show that I found funny. Um, yeah, like when she's going through his childhood stuff and she finds it kind of cute, and she's mm-hmm. but she's going through it, and you're like, wow, this is really like it was, <laughs> yeah, like silly that stuff. was, yeah, I, and, I. And then the bit that I found really funny is like watching them in the in like making out on his bed. I wasn't I wasn't that into the scene, but what was funny is they're like getting hot and heavy, and then you hear the dad shouting through <laughs> the door like late at night, 
Like he's having like that, up, back and forth with his, with the back mom. And forth, yeah. yeah, he's got like upset bowel things going on, <laughs> and he's like going through the bathroom looking for medicine. Yeah, and he's like, I can't find the mylanta or something like that, and they're shouting this. And just the idea of them trying to like be in the in an amorous mood yeah. while these things are getting shouted in the background, and that idea that like okay, it's it's uh. A uh, an awkward situation for him mm-hmm. that he's like getting to hook up with this beautiful woman, but it's in his childhood home. And then they just laid on like one problem after another yeah. of the things that are going on. And then the grandmother wanders in and has no boundaries with no boundaries. And she just comes and sits on the bed while they're mid groping. And yeah, because for some reason, like sitcom grandparents always have to like have very serious problems that are played for laughs yeah yeah exactly yeah yeah exactly it's uh, it, that's where it starts to unravel <laughs> it's one of the ways that un- it unravels uh yeah there was that just jumping back to earlier in the episode though there was that scene yeah, in, I guess it was in the bar where they were having a drink mm-hmm. and all the guys are throwing themselves at her. Yeah. There's something about the lighting and the whole like tone of the scene. The tone of the scene was really weird. It did feel like something like out of an old-timey Holly- Hollywood movie where the woman is positioned as this one that everyone's fawning yeah. over and everyone's so flamboyantly fawning over her. In a way that's yeah. like it. I just felt I don't know what to how me, it, to, how what to compare it to, but it just felt really old timey. It just like felt like something interesting. Like, See, I you know Betty, a character Betty Davis right. would have been playing to or me, something. You know, with, with the with the type of of saturated colors and lighting and stuff. To me, it played like one of those soft core Cinemax things, like the <laughs> like the first the Red act- Shoe Diaries. Yeah, that's what I wrote. Like the first act of a Red Shoe Diaries thing. Yeah, like it just had that fe- feeling. So apart from like the whole thing you mentioned before about his dialogue and the whole thing of him mm-hmm. trying to like get her to sleep with him and yeah. all of that, just the whole apparatus of the scene mm-hmm. didn't feel like part of a sitcom. Yeah, because they're at this like really like shittily set dressed bar, uh, <laughs> and like everybody just like everybody knows where everybody is in New York. It's the smallest city on the planet. <laughs> uh, yeah, because like yeah. not only do they know how to find each other's apartments without without anything, but also like everybody knows how to find her at this one bar. I know that, sh- that they're going to on a date. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's really weird. It's like Toronto is a big city and it's but nowhere near as big as New York. And there are people that I've met in my life that I have never seen again and will (laughs) never see again. Yeah, because it's just when you live in a city like that, it's just you don't just run into people like I guess if you're I guess if you're in the same place all the time. Like, did they establish this as her hangout or? They didn't establish shit no. about shit. Yeah, no, yeah. They, they didn't establish this. I wrote that I went into, so I did not research this show at all before watching it. Didn't look up yeah. a damn thing. No. Which I, some, which is not the first time I've done that. Like, sometimes when one of you two picks the show, I find it fun to just go in totally cold on the first I, episode. Yeah, I, I assume that's what we all did. And, I, I didn't, I never, yeah. And, I always, if it's one of your guys, I go, I go in blind. But usually. <laughs> Yeah, but usually you're flying blind. Usually, Ah. I find it kind of amusing to see what unfolds and be like, "Oh, that's what this show is about." 
this was the most annoyed I've ever been by not knowing what a show is about. Like watching Aww, this episode of the show and just like, what is happening? <laughs> Who are these people? Why am I why am I supposed to care about any of this? Yeah, so, well, is that also the effect of like not watching the pilot first? I don't know. Maybe because, I it's, don't, because it's on TV. Because, yeah. not, not, not yet. Not yet. Well, okay. So the funny thing about this show in general is that it was sort of viewed as a departure from the types of comedies that were on Fox at the time. Really? Like, you this know, is like another raunchy, it's just I another know, raunchy it's sex raunchy. comedy. It, it is, but they just thought that the way the raunchiness is expressed is a little less like, I don't know. It's, it just felt a lot of the critics had said it was like more elevated. So they were saying, oh, a sophisticated co- comedy on on Fox. Well, okay. I, and I, and I'm like, that that's just... No, it's not. It's but, not sophisticated. But I think but, I know what you mean. It's yeah. the, the difference is, whereas something like Married with Children is self-aware of the fact that it's unsophisticated, like is mm-hmm. purposefully in the gutter. That's the point of the show. Whereas this show is trying so hard to be this classy. Show, it does think it's high-minded. It thinks <laughs> it's high-minded. This show thinks it's sexy Frasier. And whereas what it yeah. actually is, is dimly lit married with children. Like it's actually in the gutter, yeah. but it just doesn't think it is, yeah. which is, which is uh, not something that works. I did have this revelation while we were talking and I wrote this down that there is a version of her that works. Mm-hmm. Her character, because I was, it was bugging me, like the, what is she like? Some rich trust fund party girl or something? I don't even know. She's that's like, a, like not even she, clear. It's, never, it's not clear. But that's like another thing. It's a uh, trope. That trope of like it's just this. She's just a party girl. Yeah. Like there's no. Yeah. But all the, they don't have a job. It's like yeah. it's like well, the character. Kristen, it's not like there's not a whole uh, mess of reality TV about just this. Yeah. 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 I know, but it's like. But there's a version know. of this that we enjoy. Yeah. And that's from Don't Trust the Bee. Yeah, I was literally just going to say that. Yeah. Because that because she's character like, is this character. Yeah. yeah. But hilarious. Chloe, yeah. But absolutely hilarious. Yeah. Well, because a woman wrote that. And like, <laughs> it's doing that character you know, for the right reasons. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it is totally. A, but it is a weird but I trope. Do, I, I do enjoy that that trope, that idea of this like woman who just is somehow always adjacent to famous people and always in these outrageous situations and is like just has all these and and, like, a, and a famous celebrity is always whisking her off yes, to some private like, island it, for the weekend. You know, it's a fun trope and it's like a fun like it's but that that thing is inevitable of them always being paired with a more straight laced person, whether it's a lover or whether it's a roommate, like the case in the case of don't trust the bee. Yeah. Uh, and it's like, oh, like, you know, watch them get into conflict because one is so free spirited and, uh, you know, yeah. well, in the case of don't trust the bee, amoral. Yeah. Well, there's a, <laughs> but that- I think they're trying to make Alicia amoral as well. Yeah. As- and then we kind of get this in uh, episode 17, which we should dive into now, yeah. like because basically in again, there's not a heavy plot. It's basically that now 
for some reason, um, Anil works for a film company, like a company that makes B movies. Yeah, he's a writer. And um, he like so somewhere in that season, he left Hawkman Foods and got this gig uh, where he's kind of doing whatever they want. I think he wants to be a writer. But in this episode, he's put in charge of publicity. And that means that he has to dress, of course, dress up as a giant cockroach and hand out leaflets in a um, train station, which I don't quite understand. Like, I didn't understand the cockroach thing. They were making him like a monster movie. Was that what it was? I was having a hard time following. Yeah. So basically, he's in this train handing out leaflets and runs into his version of Lloyd Braun. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's a good. So his <laughs> So he runs into Brad uh Schimmel or uh his high school nemesis who's always trying to one up him. Yeah, his douchey yeah. high school nemesis. And basically Brad is describing his life working in Washington DC making six figures, yada yada yada. And all this, and he's just like, okay, well, I gotta, I gotta one up this guy. I got him to have him meet my girlfriend. So clearly, again, he's just using his girlfriend as like, you know, arm candy. I mean, in at this least case. she calls him out on that later. Yeah, yeah, she does. But uh, yeah, so he's like, okay, well, so he he tells Brad like, oh, we should all meet up for drinks tonight or dinner. So and Brad is there to help his fiance move um out of her new york home to like move in with him in uh dc so they show up for so basically before they have the dinner plans um neil tells uh alicia and alicia's like but we have like these other plans tonight we're supposed to go hang out with bono inexplicably yeah it's like see a free youtube con- you, YouTube. see a free youtube con- <laughs> youtube see a free youtube concert Hang out with Bono, get like whisked away to some private party on like a helicopter, then like dinner at some lab. It's like it's a whole. It's a whole evening of like very far fetched adventures. Most lavish celebrity yeah. adventure. Yeah. And he's like, no, 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 we have to go one up Brad Schimmel. Like we have to. <laughs> like it's the, this is the bigger priority. And uh, I mean, but he doesn't tell her that. Yeah, well, he doesn't, doesn't tell, tell her, her why. He he. Well, he positions it like, oh, I haven't seen this guy in years. He's my dear friend. I'd mm-hmm. be such a bad friend. So he's manipulating her. Well, and then there's that the one moment I thought was funny where that line where it's as if she's never experienced being guilty well, before. Getting to that, yeah, yeah. So she's like, she's like, I don't understand why I feel this way. I <sighs> is this guilt? Like she felt bad because yeah. she didn't want to do. Because everyone was pointing out to her, he that, always goes along. That with he always goes along with what do. she wants to do, and because he he expresses it like, oh, it's this longtime friend, and he'll be very disappointed. Of course, she looks like the bad guy for wanting to go on this like celebrity, you know, escapade uh, instead. So you know, he convinces her out of guilt, but it was kind of funny because it was kind of like, oh, so we're trying. We sort of see her personality in that she's she's sort of like a star fucker. Like she's sort of like more impressed with status and and that she just kind of bulldozes her way through things and wants her way. And like so we kind of get that little Chloe essence, if you will, like the 
the yeah. character from Don't Trust the Bee, but not really. Like they don't go fully into it. You know, she still sort of has these like redeemable moments where it's like, can we just go full like superficial with it? Can we go full like amoral with yeah, it? Like but if that's the anyway. joke, take it far enough. Take it far, yeah. Where because uh, I don't, yeah. I was so on the one hand, like in a different situation with different characters, having a thing where it's like one person always goes along with what the other person wants to do. Yeah. So then, then one day it's like, well, just do this thing with me. You never do what I want to do. But it turns out that the thing that he, he wants, wants to, to do, do is, is a spiteful thing. <laughs> is a spiteful thing. That twist in and of itself is fine. Yeah. Only I don't believe for a second that he would rather show up I know. a douchey friend that he hasn't seen in years rather than this lavish adventure no, with no, her. I don't believe I, he'd want to do no, that. No, of course, because again, like she's nothing but like a like a symbol for him. Like yeah. he, you know, all she is to him is something that proves that he's not a loser. Yeah. And like, so he doesn't look at her like a human being. So mm -hmm. he doesn't care about all the other, like the Bono and stuff. He wants people to see her with him or uh, yeah. see him with her. He's so insecure yeah. that he would, that this is like a desperate need for it, him. I guess it's he just. He needs to get back at, yeah. yeah. It just, it felt like they could have chosen it's, a thing for her to want to do that was just one notch less exciting. Yeah. To make it feel like he wouldn't want to do that thing. I, I, I mean, at, at this point, they sort of like, it seems like they're making the point that they do that shit all the time. I guess. Right? Like yeah. every they do, weekend, they, it's yeah. another star fucking thing. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So this one isn't spe actually that special because they always <laughs> do, th do that sort of stuff. Is that the idea? Yeah, yeah I exactly. think so. Yeah. But anyway, so Neil goes to dinner with Brad and his fiance Amy, who's played by none other than um, Lisa Kudrow, <laughs> which is why I chose the episode. Um, and she is hilarious, and it's like not a big part at all, but she like steals the scenes. Yeah, she's so much funnier than that scene should have been. Yeah, and um, so yeah, so basically he's having a little bit of an awkward dinner, and clearly. They've had a full dinner without Alicia showing up and, you know, they start to kind of consider getting the check and leaving for the night. And Neil's kind of like, oh, no, you know, you haven't met Alicia yet. She and they're kind of like, OK, Alicia, you know, <laughs> like doubting that she even exists. And then Alicia does show up and she's like looking super hot in her like skin tight, like gold dress. And she has like a. I was just like, I was very, again, knocked out by the outfits. And um, she, you know, right away, uh, fucking Brad is drooling over her in front of his In front fiance, of his fiance, which also which like- Which is also very like, you know, even the skeeziest guys know how to hide that. You know I know, I mean? it's like, that's what I mean. Like, the, like they're laying stuff on so, so thick. thick. Yeah. That like it'd be one thing if his fiance like left the table to freshen herself up in the bathroom yeah. and he made a comment about how hot he thought she was or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. But like, yeah, even a skeezy guy like him would know keep how it to hide it. Yeah, keep, keep it, it together. together a little bit. Yeah, because like, that's what those guys do. And it was also, like... she's 
Lisa Kudrow's attractive too. Yeah, like it, exactly. It's, it's it's not. Yeah, yeah. It's it, it's just he he basically makes it seem like his fiance is like it, it's very mean spirited because basically the scene he's like ogling her the whole time and then their song comes like the, his song with his fiance Amy comes on and he asks her to da- he asks Alicia to dance. Yeah. <laughs> And their song, their song, of course, being like clearance-free music from the yeah. like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, from the studio archives. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then, and then, kind of like to get back at them, the other two start dancing. Yeah, not because they want to dance with each other, but just like sort yeah. of a tit for tat sort of thing. But and so there's like the parallel dialogue ha- going on. The one line that I laughed at was during the dancing thing. Where uh, I don't remember what led into this, where he's explaining uh, something that happened, like the what's his name, the 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 asshole friend, Brad. Brad is explaining something, <laughs> and Lisa Kudrow has a line where she's like, uh, "You were with me in, s- you were with oh, it was something about where was he at a certain, oh, I know what it was. It he makes this flirtatious comment." to her while they're dancing to Alicia, to Alicia yeah. where he's like where was I when you were meeting or hooking up with my friend here like as if you know if she had met him first she would have ended up with him or yeah, whatever yeah. like where was I and Lisa Kudrow shouts from across the room <laughs> you were with me insisting I get a diaphragm because you won't wear a condom <laughs> <laughs> and, and, yeah, her and that delivery. Line, her delivery on that line just yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. floored me. That is yeah, she's so good. She's so good. Even like <laughs> then in this like nothing role. Yeah, she's like such a star. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and ultimately, yeah. you know, Brad, like basically Brad and Amy's relationship implodes, and they like break off their engagement because he. His whole thing is like, if you can get a girl like Alicia, then that means I should be aiming higher or and it's like so mean. <laughs> and uh, and then Alicia, of course, kind of realizes that uh, Neil used her to just like look like a big shot to Brad. Yeah. And she was like offended by that. Rightfully yeah. but so. Then, but then 30 seconds later, she's- but then 30 seconds later, she's like, oh, you know, it's OK. Yeah, I well, still love you, my like. <laughs> she decides it's okay because she, after seeing how much of an asshole Brad was, Brad was, yeah. and how he's kind of a bully, then part of she's like, well, I guess I can kind of understand why you felt the need, <sighs> yeah. to, to like stick it to him or whatever. It's like but just coddling their toxic masculinity. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> don't 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 encourage this. Yeah, that, because like. We get all these hints where, like, you know, like, oh, he bullied him when they were younger. But then you're also, like, hearing about, like, who, how he was. And you were like, oh, he was stalking this guy's girlfriend, like, really <laughs> yeah. creepily. And, like, yeah, yeah. And, like, he was, like, really, <laughs> yeah. Like, he says he's, like, the, uh, he's feel like the show is trying to tell us he's victimized here. But you're like, I don't know. He kind of sounds like the same sociopath he presents himself <laughs> as today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The the yeah. problem that this one of the problems this show has, it, and we've talked about this before, the idea where you know you're leading the witness, like you said early on in yeah. our conversation, how he's this you know awkward nebbish type who 
feels like he's not good enough to be with her, but you're like, he's actually a cute guy, but like, you know, the, the dialogue tells you as the audience, he's not like good enough for her or whatever. Or she's way out of his league. Like, it's all just I mean, he's like, he's not, he's awful. Yeah. Well, the character isn't, but what I'm, yeah. but like yeah. you pointed out how, like from a, just a casting perspective, yeah. it's not the casting of, of these two actors don't seem mm-hmm. impossible that they'd be together. It's the way the characters are. And yeah. the way you learn that the characters are the way they are is because they tell you. Not yeah. because you like discover this through through this context is, organically, but they basically yeah. shout at you, this guy, he's socially awkward and, and she's super hot and every man's throwing himself at her and it all like kind of mm-hmm. gets spoon well, fed to you. It's very much Big Bang Theory writing. It's written by a bunch of little boys who are mad at the world. Yeah, yeah. And like, and, yeah. And, and more specifically, misogynistic little boys right. who, are yeah. mad, who are mad at women. Right. And mm-hmm. like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, the, yeah. that, the, my closest example would definitely be Big Bang Theory because, right. like, yeah. that's how they treat, you know, that's how, at least when that show started, that's how they treat that central relationship. Right. Too, yes. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it's one of those things where the show is basically telling you this is how you should feel about these people. Yeah. And having some pretty explicit lines that are going <laughs> to like lay that out for you. Yeah. And like the fact that he's like not in her so to speak league. Yeah. The fact that he lives with his parents and the fact that he's initially like working in this job that he gets from yeah. his parents, that's doing a lot of heavy lifting in terms of telling you what kind of guy this, yeah. this guy is. Because you're not really, see- they show him at their office, like in that first episode, they yeah. show him there. You don't even really know what his job is and you don't see him work. Yeah, it's true. You don't really see him even interact with the other characters much. They're mostly talking around him. And mm-hmm. then her... All these guys are throwing themselves at her, and that's why she's attractive. Because they're not because we look at her and say, Oh, this is the most attractive person on earth. It's because every guy's tripping over their own shoelaces trying to get at her. Yeah, they keep telling us that. They yeah. keep telling us that. And it feels like half the episodes, like every other line, is something to remind us how we should feel about them. Yeah. Well, the fact that. We saw episode two and episode 17 and you're like, wow, you guys are still playing these cards 15 episodes later, right? Like they're not in a, you know, their relationship doesn't feel like they've known each other for a long time. It's all still the same bullshit Mm -hmm. over and over again about like he's he 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 doesn't deserve her and she's too hot. Yeah. Uh, uh, Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Episode 17 should theoretically be some number of months later. Yeah, like it's, I don't get what this show is. I don't know yeah, what, yeah, what no, it like wants I said, to be. It's like, what's the takeaway here? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. What are we saying about these people? Like, wh- you know, what do we want it's got to happen such, here? It's got such a like. It's got such a big cast, but it's the cast is completely, at least in the two episodes we saw, like completely incidental. Yes, like, yeah. They, they'll show up for about thirty seconds for a scene, and then they're gone for the rest of the episode. So it's like, why are you? Why are you paying these people to be yeah. series regulars? <laughs> yeah, if, the whole, like they're not actual characters. Yeah, the whole show yeah. is about their relationship. Everything else is like distantly peripheral. Mm-hmm. So it's a show that is exploring their relationship. It's not a general sort of broader hangout show. You're not getting to know 
their friends or their relatives, a sibling, a best friend or mm-hmm. anything, a coworker. You're not really well, getting to know you kind these other of people. are. I mean, we only saw the two episodes. Yeah. Like I think the roommates are in it most oh, I'm of I'm sure it. they're there, and but like the f- they, they, I don't know. They're fun, and I'm like a fan of Clea Lewis. Yeah. I find her very funny. But like, like the show definitely hinges on their relationship. Yeah, it is. It well, just like other other similar shows, like Dharma and Greg. It was all about Dharma and Greg. You know, like no, but the- that Dharma and Greg was also very much so about both of their parents. Yeah, and like yeah, and their I friends. Guess. Yeah, and they were and like you know like the supporting characters didn't seem like window dressing. Yeah. Or like mad about you or whatever. Like it, mm-hmm. if yeah. you're going to make it about a central relationship, yes, spend more time on these other people mm-hmm. so that they don't feel so transient and just coming and going through a revolving door. Mm-hmm. But also make us care about the relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're really asking us to spend a lot of time with these two dating. And I'm like, I'm not well, buying have, it. Yeah. They have zero chemistry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, and like usually I'm like, oh, these, you know, everybody's so talented and stuff like that. And it's like, I don't have that this time around. Like, I, I don't like Tay Leone is obviously great because we, we know she's great in other things. Yeah. Uh, I know I've seen Corey Parker and things, but yeah. like if this was his only work, oh boy, it would not be a good calling card. <laughs> well, I don't think it's his fault. I think he's doing, I think he's doing exactly what. What they've oh, asked I, of him. I agree. I agree. Um, Nobody's yeah. rising above the material. No, 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 no. Exactly. Except Lisa Kudrow. Is, <laughs> everybody star, is dra- yeah. everybody's being dragged down. Yes. Everyone's being dragged down with it except Lisa Kudrow. <laughs> it's funny. Yeah. Her and I also kind of enjoyed the dad. He had like seven seconds of screen time. Yeah. Oh, Michael. God. He was all over that first episode, though. <laughs> Oof. So that's Sonny from uh, Greece, one of the T-Birds. Oh, really? Michael Tucci. <laughs> that's and funny. And many other, like, you know, he's a big deal character actor. On that note, why don't you tell us <laughs> about a bunch of stuff they're in? Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Well, how, how, how might one connect this show well, with friends? Well, there's the, the, <laughs> the first obvious one, which is Lisa Kudrow, who guest starred as Amy on Flying Blind, also played Phoebe Buffay on Friends. So that's a, your number one one degree connection. Okay. There's tons of connections. Didn't even need to go through Mad About You for it. No, we didn't, but you could also. And <laughs> you guys have, anyone out there who's heard our episodes before, you can do that secondary connection. Um, yeah, there's, there's, there's tons of connections. There's also a couple of the directors, including, I believe, James Burroughs. Uh, he directed episodes of this and also directed Friends and every other successful sitcom. Um, so the next one is Cleo Lewis, who played Megan on Flying Blind. She also guest starred on Friends. Uh, Christ- Christine Rose, who played Ellen Barish on Flying Blind, um, Neil's mother, uh, had a recurring role in Friends as Paul Rudd's mother, like That's Paul Rudd's right. character's mother. That's- um, Christine Rose, uh, also was Mrs. Bueller on Ferris Bueller, the Ferris Bueller sitcom. Oh. Um, which co-starred Jennifer Aniston. Huh. 
Jennifer Aniston played Rachel Green on Friends, as you all know. (laughs) So that's so Christine Rose is connected to Friends through a one degree connection and a two degree connection. Corey Parker uh, has a two degree connection. So he played Neil, of course, uh, the lead on Flying Blind. He also co-starred with Sherilyn Fenn on uh, Liz, the Elizabeth Taylor story. Sherilyn Fenn guest starred on Friends. So that's a two degree connection. Hayden, uh, Thomas Hayden Church, who you saw in that uh, second episode we watched as like a one of the like weird friends in the apartment. He was in like two episodes of Flying Blind. Um, he coast like he's also as per last week's episode has connections to friends. Um, so he co-starred on Wings with Steven Weber. Steven Weber co-starred with Matthew Perry on Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. Matthew Perry played Chandler on Friends. So that's a three degree connection. And then there's another three degree connection also through the Wings universe. Thomas Hayden Church. <laughs> with the Wings universe. Yeah, yeah. So he co-starred with on Wings with Tim Daly as well. Tim Daly co-starred with Jennifer Aniston on uh, Object of My Affection. And Jennifer Aniston was, of course, Rachel Green on Friends. So there's probably way more than this as well, just because a lot of them kind of popped in on different sitcoms and like, including Mad About You, but I didn't want to go down that rabbit hole because I know you guys would be like, we'd be here for an hour just talking about the various yeah. connections. But yeah, there's just, there's like a ton. It was like this, you know, like a, like right before Friends, but like a similar kind of era of like trying to make these like New York sitcoms um, starring young, hot young people. So it makes sense that there would be some connections. Yeah, and then obviously our for our spinoff, like the cast is very recognizable. Like it's obvious that nobody kind of really slowed down after this show. Um, Taya Leone, who we've already talked about, you know, quite a bit in our Naked Truth episode, um, went on to star in The Naked Truth as well as like a few movies kind of in between. Um, and then after The Naked Truth, she was in a variety of like, you know, pretty successful films, including Spanglish, Deep Impact, Fun with Dick and Jane. And then she had a long run on Madam Secretary as Elizabeth McCord, Corey Parker. So he starred in another short-lived series called Blue Skies, which might be going on the twas list. Um, He played this one I found funny because I already mentioned this. So he was in the Elizabeth Taylor biopic that was like a TV movie. He played Eddie Fisher, so he, which I thought was kind of fun. Um, and then he was also in the made-for-TV movie sequel of Encino Man, Encino <laughs> Woman. What? <laughs> Do you, I, which I remember. It was a... Encino Woman. I did came not out know that. in 96. Okay. And basically the premise is it's just like Encino Man. Uh where they fought, like, you know, this this frozen cave woman is found in oh, California. Dear. And instead of like a teen, like comedy, it's like, you know, this young guy who works for a uh, PR company meets this cave woman and then she becomes an international supermodel and they fall <laughs> in love. What? And it's a whole wild thing. 
yeah, but I remember that. That really unlocked random pop culture memories for me because I remember watching that. Um, and I specifically remember there's a scene in that movie where um, they're asking her where she's from and she can barely speak because she's a cave woman and she's just <laughs> getting her bearings. And at one point she says, Hungary, because she's like, Hungary? Yeah. And they interpret it, oh, she's from Hungary. <laughs> like, wow. So they think she's from like this, wow. like, you know, and then she becomes this like runway model and it just becomes, of course. Uh, I don't know, it's so ridiculous. He was also in the Love Boat um, reboot from the 90s, the Love Boat, the next wave. So he has some funny <laughs> credits. Some very amusing credits. He like continued to appear in a lot of like TV and films, but now he's actually like a very successful acting coach and teacher. And his most notable gig was being the, you know, the main acting coach for Ms. Marvel. Oh, so he's done like he's like a very respected guy. So I was kind of like chuckling to myself when you guys were like, well, if this is his like main, like his only work. That's not a good calling card. But he's well respected and he's teaching other people how to act and oh. is like so I don't know. So it's interesting. So he like has. Like he's like, which I, I didn't I, say he wasn't. I said if yeah, this yeah. was, if I, this I was. know who he is. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know. It's it's interesting that whole actor to acting coach pipeline. Like that, I find that very fascinating. Like the first time I kind of saw that recently was in the show, and this was just like a character, but the, in the show Barry, the um Sarah, what's her name's character goes from being an actor to being an acting coach on major movies. So it's, I don't know, it's just an interesting thing. Like, I'm, like, so intrigued yeah. by that. And I don't like, know if we talked about this, but how the the sillier, zanier version of that thing on Barry is It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. I did a version of that with yeah. Dee, where she doesn't make it as an actor like she always wanted to, so she decides to become, like, an acting coach. I think, I think Joey uh, Tribbiani also is an acting coach at some point <laughs> oh yeah there might that have been would a make sense. there might have been a friends episode with that so yeah so the so we'll get to the roommates now so robert bauer so i i found his character really um forgettable like i, I feel like cleo lewis is the one that like really stood out like i don't even remember the character's name now but well, i think it's just because she was cleo lewis and we know who she is yeah yeah but he so you know he's appeared in a lot of different things over over the years, like lots of guest starring roles, but now he's mainly a producer. Um, so he produced the film Waitress, um, the series Headcase, and then a um kind of a docu series that was made about Don Rickles. Um, so yeah, so he's more of a producer now. Um, and Cleo Lewis, of course, you know, continued to get work in various TV shows. She'd kind of come in and play the kind of quirky side characters in a lot of shows. And most memorably, she was like the quirky friend on Ellen DeGeneres' sitcom, Ellen. So she played Audrey on uh, Ellen DeGeneres' sitcom. And uh, that's who, how I remember her most. It was like she was like the really weird <laughs> me, me too. friend of Ellen. And she has such a distinctive kind of voice and like... Uh, delivery. Ellen. Yeah. No, Hello, Ellen. Yeah. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Always found her very entertaining. 
So she had a recurring role on another short-lived sitcom called Maggie Winters that was starring Faith Ford. She voiced a character on Pepper Ann, uh, Nikki. And I'm like, I don't remember what character that was, but I watched Pepper Ann as a kid. Um, and then she was also in Andy Richter's short-lived series, uh, Andy Barker P.I. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, and so she's continued to work in uh, more recent TV shows, including The Americans, The Affair, American Rust, and New Amsterdam. Um, Michael Tucci um, was already an established player. You know, I mentioned already that he was one of the T-Birds in Greece. Um, and he also played Pete on the Gary Shan- on It's Gary Shandling's show. So he was already a pretty established guy. And he probably was a bit of a get at the time that they cast mm. this show. Yeah, um, he got an and credit. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. And then so following up um Flying Blind, he, you know, he continued to work on big series including Diagnosis Murder where he ha- was one of the like main characters. He also appeared on Once and Again, uh The Rich and the Ruthless. And then he took another turn and I don't know where this happened, but basically he was also a long time like acting coach as well and a drama like a a drama teacher at like a private high school so he basically i don't know if it was like while he was still acting and then he would occasionally act but he was like also like had this long career as a teacher so i think that's like pretty awesome like i i don't know i just like like to hear about that when actors who you know they have like kind of a double career like it's kind of interesting uh, and then we have Marcus Giamatti, who we already mentioned was, in fact, the brother of Paul Giamatti, appeared in tons of TV following uh, Flying Blind. One interesting credit is in a TV um, production of Hamlet, he played Guildenstern. <laughs> uh, and, you know, he's pe- appeared in several other big series, including Tell Me You Love Me, Monk, House. Lie to me, bones, blue bloods, a lot of procedurals, basically. And then, of course, we have Christine Rose, um, who is very interesting because she has been in several of our Twas shows at this point. Um, so we saw her in Ferris Bueller, which I already mentioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was in the famous Teddy Z, Davis oh, Rules, yeah. and Uncle Buck wow. for one episode. Yeah. But following... Um, Flying Blind, she got tons of work still. She she appeared in The Nanny, Star Trek The Next Generation, Empty Nest, Grace Under Fire, Party of Five, and then had recurring roles in series including um, Providence, The Practice, Friends, as already mentioned, uh, Heroes, and Trial and Error. So, yeah. So our cast did just fine after. And, of course, Richard Rosenstock, who created Flying Blind, went on to write for Arrested Development and several other successful comedies. So everyone was fine after this. <laughs> Not me. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if we'll ever be the same. But, you know. Yeah, I was, like, slightly on edge watching this show for some reason. Yeah, it was. It made me feel uncomfy. I don't know why. It just, it was, like, not... Like, some shows that we watch, they're, like... They're, like, okay, I'm not into this, but it's, like, an easy watch still. Probably. This was not an easy... This was not an easy watch. Not an easy watch. Because it was poorly... It was just poorly made. It made me like, tense. all around. It made me feel it, it, physically it, yeah, tense. It did. Yeah. And I feel like at any moment we were waiting for another kind of 
gross dating trope of the 90s that's like problematic to like come up and like slut shaming or something like where I just like I just feel like it was just like a weirdly uncomfortable the show was not was not as offensive as I thought it could have turned into yeah at least not in the two episodes that we watched yeah but it was it was there was something about it that just felt like yeah. Uh, just got to get this over with because it yeah, just yeah, felt like yeah. it, you know, it. It's almost like the energy level in it was too high. Yeah. For what the situation's called for and everything just like amped up. Yeah. It's just, yeah. There's something about it that was just like, eh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. Which is probably why it didn't last. Yeah, oh, it happens. Go figure. <laughs> it happens. Big swings. You know, this had to walk, so don't trust the bee could run. All of that. <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe I mean, a- I don't know if you really consider that one a, a hit. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, we enjoyed Don't Trust the Bee because it was like an amazing show, but it wasn't that successful. No, it wasn't successful, but we really like it. It's Because it's, <laughs> yeah. it's a well-written, well-acted yeah, show. It, yeah, I think it's good. We've watched, uh, we've probably rewatched it a couple times through. Yeah. Um, yeah. I wonder what, uh, I wonder what Mr. Producer would have to say about this show. This feels like something he would know about. Hey, kid, what's the brine? (laughs) Hello, Mr. P. How are you this week? I'm doing very well, thank you. I had a very productive week on the show, making some real headway on that pilot draft, finally. Oh, what draft is this? Uh, this would be, uh, 38. <laughs> well, they say 38's the charm. Yeah, they, they do. They do say that. So, what were you guys watching uh, this week on uh, It Was a Program? Uh, we watched Flying Blind with Taya Leone and... Oh, God. Really? Uh, yeah, I take it you're familiar? Unfortunately, I was heavily involved in this one. I mean, I left before it went to the air, but, uh, I can't quite wash my hands completely. Anything you could tell us? Yeah, well, you know, we had Taya Leone, uh, and that's about it. Of course, the original pitch was she was this newly hired pilot at a fictional airline. The twist, you see, was she was blind. So, you know, then we had a title. But uh, that premise was uh, a little hard for some people to swallow. I mean, you know, it basically falls apart the second you ask a single question. Which, though not a great sign, I wish I could say was a unique problem for our industry. (laughs) Alas, we had to go back to the drawing board. And more importantly, back to the comedy clubs to find a male lead who could go toe-to-toe with Taya. Well, she's a very capable performer. Top-notch talent. So I must have seen, uh, you know, 50 acts. Now, we were down at the Guffaw Gallery, you know, which was Akron, Ohio's hottest stand-up joint from 1926 all the way through 97 when it was, you know, closed down and became a golden corral. (laughs) All the big Ohio comedians came out of there. You know, you had little Mickey Herbert, the incomparable Danny Del Duccio, Bingo Bippy Blevins, they always all write Matthew Vaughn St. Matthews and his famous 11-minute bit dedicated entirely to the children's snack food Dunkaroos. These guys were great, but all of them took one look at this script and passed. Wow, even the Dunkaroos guy? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's an eye-opener. I promptly left the project 
I took a seven-month sabbatical where I ended up learning to play the harpsichord from Mitchell Elwes, you know, Carrie's uncle. <laughs> That's a tune for another album. <laughs> Until next time. All right. Good talking to you. Yeah, well, he's always a trove of information. Yeah, I mean. He sees something else. Something. <laughs> but like, if this is a, pro- the fact that he walked away from this show, I mean. It's yeah, gotta tell you It's, it's gotta, gotta tell you something. Tell you something. Yeah. So, um, I guess that's it for Flying Blind, unless either of you have any leftovers. Nope. Nope. The, I, <laughs> the sooner we stop recording, the sooner I can go about uh, forgetting all about this show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know. I think it was a fun conversation. So, it, it's one of those shows where, like, I enjoyed... Out of the 45 minutes of this show that I watched, <laughs> I enjoyed maybe 30 seconds. But I enjoyed an hour of talking well, about it with you guys. that goes without saying. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, it was, it was kind of a fun show to, to deconstruct. Yeah, as always. Yeah. All right. I feel really bad because I know this is the type of show that, like, that somebody's going to listen to our, our podcast and be like, oh, they're doing Flying Blind, yeah. And then they'll be like, oh, no. Yeah. Oh no. But it, it also feels like the kind of show where I could see someone having like a vaguely positive memory of it from from the time and not really not because they really remember it. <laughs> like one of those things where they just because this goes back what, like thirty two years? Yeah. This goes back It's uh, like ninety two, ninety three, yeah. not even yeah. Yes, this goes back about yeah. 31 years or whatever. So I could see someone who like caught a few episodes when they were a teenager <laughs> and they're just like, oh, yeah, I kind of remember that show. I thought that was like, it was like like the sexy comedy or whatever in New York. It was really cool. You know, whatever happened to that show. Trust us. It's you don't yeah. need to. Yeah. You don't sexy, need to... sexy Frasier as you. Bitch. Yeah. <laughs> That's my favorite. Uh, I move that those remarks be stricken from the record. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, uh, hopefully the next uh, the next thing we cover will be more enjoyable to watch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, until next time. Another one in the can. That was a show is created and hosted by Bryn Burney, Andrew Barry Helmer, and myself, Aaron Yeager. It's a production of Radio Gizmo in Toronto, Canada. Subscribe, rate, review, and share. Follow us on Instagram and tell your friends about it. That was a show. Radio Gizmo.